Welcome to a new episode of Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. It's been a heck of a week here in Philadelphia. We had a police-involved shooting that is getting national headlines and has caused a lot of unrest here in Philadelphia. We've had protests, peaceful protests. We've had looting. We've had a lot of police action. We've had police officers injured. Uh, we've had a lot of arrests. Uh, lots going on in Philadelphia. So to talk about it today, I'm going to bring on uh, two top law enforcement experts, former deputy police commissioner here in Philadelphia, Joe Sullivan, 30 plus years on the department. He's done everything from run patrol to the bomb squad, SWAT, all those areas. And also joining us again, I'm uh, glad to welcome back uh, Michael Chitwood Jr. He's the sheriff of Volusia County down in South Florida. He's also a former lieutenant at SIU. That's the Special Investigations Unit at Southwest Detectives. Guys, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, good morning. Good morning, David. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. Um, guys, let's start off with uh, the video that's been out there. You've seen it, a shooting of uh, Walter Wallace Jr. Monday afternoon around 4 o'clock. Uh, it's on video, uh, multiple videos, and it is now the subject of an intense investigation here in Philadelphia. For those of you who don't know, Mr. Wallace uh, approached police uh, repeatedly with a knife, and uh, after multiple warnings from police, all of which were captured on body cam video and uh, civilian video, uh, he was shot and killed uh, out in West Philadelphia, and it's uh, set off quite a series of uh, events across the city. So, um, Mike, let me start with you. Just give me your your first impressions of the video and this whole situation. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Good morning. I think, uh, you know, uh, the first impression that I had was when I looked at the video was where are the officers' dangers and where is there a supervisor? And then obviously the officers did everything that they could reasonably do to protect themselves and protect the community. You, you got a mentally ill guy who's not on his medication. They did everything that they can possibly do with the tools that they had, and they had to resort to deadly force. And the people that are upset should be more upset, in my opinion, uh, at what wasn't done by the administration to prepare better. In my opinion, uh, the officers having tasers, for example, would be advantageous. In, in our de-escalation training, we have all that equipment already out on the street. Now, I don't have 6,000 cops, but we have pepper balls. We have uh, big bag ground grenade, uh, uh, shotguns. We have tasers. Uh, you know, you have these things. And, uh, and then on every call, we make sure a supervisor is, is dispatched and gets there. Okay. We're going to get into de-escalation in a little bit. But, uh, Joe Sullivan, let me ask you your first impressions. Uh, you've been close to this whole situation with the police department for a long, long time. I'm sure that, uh, A, upset you by the tragic death of Mr. Wallace, which maybe didn't have to happen. But you also see police officers thrust into a situation that no police officer wants to face, a man with a knife coming right at them. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. This is a tragedy. A young man lost his life. Um, we don't want to see that happen. And what's important is how do we prevent this from happening again? Uh, it, it's a tragic incident. A man was killed in front of his mother and his family. Uh, you, know, the, you know, that's terrible. But, you know, the commissioner said it. Um, everyone involved, including the, the officers who did not want to be in that position, all of the neighbors, including the children out there, um, this, our entire city and, and, and certainly our entire department has, has been impacted by this and will be changed forever. Um, I, I couldn't agree with her more. But what disturbs me is that, uh, you know, we have people, we have politicians um, that have already made a decision uh, about whether or not that this was an appropriate use of force. And you know what? No one can make that determination at this point. We need to see that body-worn camera video. It, it needs to be released. It should have been released already, and it needs to be released as soon as possible. It's got video. It's got audio. It's got – that's two separate perspectives we have to see. And we need to know what, what the 911 – what the say. What was 911 told when, when people called the police? Uh, and what information was given to those officers? And as Mike said, you know, I think it was unfortunate that people weren't told immediately. Those officers don't have tasers. Um, you know, I don't know what the real number of tasers that are actually on the street. The number of people trained is not the number of people on the street. But I know from my own experience, it, the number is not enough. And this is something that goes back to the collaborative reform report that was done in 2017 when the Department of Justice 
had said that, you know, every officer out on patrol and, and all of our special units that work the street you should be equipped with tasers. And by now, we should be looking at um, additional technology, some of which Mike explained. And um, to think that, you know, if you compare the two agencies and he's got 100 um, shotguns out there converted for less lethal impact rounds, um, which is, you know, discriminate force, meaning that it's it's targeted to, to the person that is uh, leveraging violence. Um, you know, that's, a prof- that's, that, that's professional. And I agree with Mike. There probably should have been a supervisor on the scene. But, you know, again, we don't know what the call volume was at that moment. We need to know what happened, the two previous calls to that house. We need to know if this, there was a drug problem. And, you know, Chief Craig from Detroit, who, you know, everybody who follows me on social media knows I'm quite a big fan of, you know, he said it well. You know, we need to fix the mental health response. And that doesn't mean defunding the police. Mm-hmm. It means a proactive by mental health professionals to treat those suffering so it doesn't escalate to a police response. And, and at some point, you know, w- when the official investigations are done, we need to do a sentinel review and go back into this gentleman's entire history in the criminal justice system and the mental health system and see where intervention could have taken place. Yep. And it didn't take place. Yeah. And, 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 and these things shouldn't always fall to the police. Okay, let me uh, clear up a couple of things that I know from my reporting the last couple of days, and I actually reported last night on our broadcast at uh, Fox 29. There are 2,300 tasers on the street in Philadelphia. And, Joe, there's 4,000-something patrol officers, right, in the, in the city around that? Well, there's 4,600, there, 4, but I— So I, half I, of them, I, half of them have— tasers or have been trained to use a taser. That would be correct, correct? Well, I say theoretically, you know, officers get, get trained and then they get transferred, they get promoted, sure. they retire, they get hurt um, long term. So, I, you know, uh, the, the more important number to me w- would be how many were on the street at that moment sure. when, when this incident occurred. Look, okay. l- 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 let's get a real number of, of what's on the street at any given time. Yeah. Mike, uh, it's my understanding from my sources, and I reported this last night, that neither one of these officers who had just come on the 3 to 11 shift out at Southwest, which you're familiar with at 55th and Pine, uh, neither one of them were briefed or knew about the two or three prior calls to that house that day. Uh, I don't know if they knew about the dozens more over the last three months, which you and I discussed the other night on our broadcast. Um, so, So they're starting off going to a domestic violence situation that they're called to a person with a weapon, uh, like with one hand kind of tied behind their back. They don't know. And we all know domestic violence calls are the worst call a a police officer can go to because you don't know what the hell's going on out there when you get there. Right. Uh, Absolutely, Dave. And, you know, uh, Joe made some outstanding points there uh, in the opening. Uh, it is so important that dispatch, the communications, gets out as much information as they can to the responding officers because they are sailing in their blind, and they're going to make decisions without having the proper information. I don't know if the outcome would have been different, right. but if dispatch or, or communications would have been able to say, as an FYI, in the last eight hours, we've been there twice. Here's what they encountered. Uh, FYI, that address has popped up. It, it, it's a flagged address. Uh, we've been out there 56 times in the past three months. You know, there are all things that the communication side of the house, that's why it's so important, is linked into what patrol is doing. Patrol needs that information. The street sergeant needs that information to help make the, the correct call. What do I send? What resources do I send to this call? Two-man car mm. or two cars might not do it. Right. You know, it might be hold off here until we get more people out there. Yeah. Maybe we need to find out who has a taser. Yeah. Okay. Joe, yeah, yeah, um, uh, let, let me ask you, uh, let me follow into that, and, you, and then you can say what you want to do. Um, you've been in situations with barricaded guys when you were w- head of SWAT and all those different groups that you handle, counterterrorism, all those kind of things. Is it not in a situation like that that time is what you want to get there? You want to you want to slow it down so you have more time to get more people there to distract the suspect if you can, to keep them, prevent him from charging at officers or moving towards officers with a lethal weapon like a knife. Isn't that the key there? Get more time, slow him down, take the anger from a one-on-one to, well, well, you know. David, it, it, it is. 
And, and I don't think there's a city in America that has a better record of utilizing de-escalation right. of, of uh, their squad officers working with, with, their, uh, with, with their negotiators to do all what you just said, um, to slow a situation down, main, maintain distance, maintain cover, not create an accident circumstance, and use time, talk, and distance to resolve a situation. But right. remember, that's a situation where you have an indivi- individual suffering a mental health crisis, likely armed with the, with, with the, with the uh, edge weapon, who is saying, I'm not coming out, and you're not coming. This is a dynamic situation that they pull up on. If one of those civilians were injured by this individual, people would be folding the cops. Um, from what I observed in that video, they, they, they did utilize good techniques. They did move back. They did take a position of cover behind the vehicle. And I know that they gave approximately 22 different verbal requests to put the knife down. Um, this was a rapidly unfolding situation, which is completely different barricade. Yeah, I reported uh, last night that uh, based on two very good sources I have that the body cam video does in fact uh, contain audio of 20 to 25 separate commands from both or one of the officers at a time. Halt, put your hands up, stop, put the knife down. And you can hear it on the civilian uh, videos that are out there at least seven or eight times. I don't know where that picked it up from. But uh, they clearly were issuing commands to him, trying to slow him down, trying to prevent a situation like that. And they did retreat up the sidewalk, then around the front of the car, then out into the middle of the street. Mike, uh, your evaluation of how the officers, and again, we're not passing judgment here. We're just talking about based on what's out there now, without seeing the body cam video, which we're apparently going to see very soon. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Based on what we see so far, Mike, the way they handled that, given the tools that they had there. They did everything right. They did everything right. And unfortunately, there's there's a rush from what I hear to put their names out there as opposed to putting out that body camera footage. They, in my heart of hearts, I believe, in, and I put body camera footage out within 24 hours, sometimes even less. I think had that body camera footage been put out within hours after that shooting, you might not have seen the looting that occurred because if if what you're saying is correct and what I'm hearing is correct. And and what Joe is saying, you've got all those warnings and you're watching what these guys are doing with the tools that they have. And they had no other choice. They didn't come to work to kill that gentleman. They didn't come to work. They came to work to help people. Hmm. That body camera footage could really, if it's released early enough, you're not going to have what you had out there. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. The police commissioner yesterday. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, just to jump on what Mike said, you know, again, I'll go back to Chief Craig in Detroit. He, he had a fatal shooting during the height of the the demonstrations, and um, it, it resulted in, in some demonstrations and some property damage. And, and he very quickly uh, got that body-worn uh, camera footage out there, which clearly made, made it which made it clear immediately that it was a justified shooting, and, and that immediately calmed everything down. And that's why I'm with Mike that have been released immediately, um, and it needs to be released as soon as possible. I think it'll make a difference. Okay, let's clear that up now. Commissioner Outlaw yesterday at a press conference yesterday afternoon said that she is going to release uh, portions or all of the 911 tapes on the call that came in from family and people on the block there, which initially we were told was a call of a person with a gun. Some of the family members and neighbors have said they also called for an ambulance or some kind of help saying there was a mental health related situation there. We'll get to that in a minute. But she has said she is plans to sit down with the family, I'm assuming in the next couple of days, show them the body cam video, let them listen to the 911 calls, and then she will release that. I believe somewhere in later in the news conference, she said she hopes to do that by Monday. Uh, I know both of you are advocates of releasing that as quickly as possible. Philadelphia, to my knowledge, has never released body cam video in a situation like this, even in a good shoot. Uh, even though when some a life is taken, it's never good. But even in a from a police tactical point standpoint, it, it's a good shoot. I will also say that up in Lancaster County, about a month and a half ago, there was a very similar situation, although closer proximity of a man coming out the front door at a police officer with a 14-inch knife above his head, who was shot and killed by that officer, and that was ruled a justifiable shooting by the district attorney up there. So there is some precedent for these kind of situations. Mike, uh, your thoughts about that? 
Yeah, absolutely, Dave. I cannot tell you enough. I was the first police department in the state of Florida in 2012 that went full body camera and full transparency. Whether the shooting is good, bad, or indifferent, if it's a bad shooting, you immediately bring in your allies, show them the video, tell them what we're going to do, you know, church leaders, community leaders, and you release it. If it's a good shooting, you do the same thing. Number one, you're supporting your police by showing, hey, this is what we did. So the cops feel good about that. Hey, look, the boss has my back. They start showing what happened. They let everybody see this. And the calmer heads in the community are going to look at that and take a leadership role and say, hey, look, this is a horrible, tragic incident. But the cops were left with no other alternative than to do what they did. And, and I don't want to criticize the commissioner, but I think she's out of step with that. You've got to get that information out there. The transparency can save businesses. It can save lives. How many cops are injured? while you're sitting on that body camera video. Get it out there. People want transparency. They want honesty. And like Joe said, you look at Chief Craig in, in Detroit, you look at the Commissioner Harrison in Baltimore, uh, you look over across the river in Camden, New Jersey, what's going on there. Right. You're seeing these police chiefs to get that information out there, and their cities aren't burned to the ground. Right. Mike, you and I talked about this the other night. I think, Joe, you and I have talked about this before. A, a knife coming at a police officer, there was obviously folks in the neighborhood said, why didn't you shoot him in the leg? Why didn't you use your baton to try and, you know, knock the knife away from him? Things like that. Uh, the reason you don't do that in close proximity is once you try with a baton, just for as, a, as an example, you're in too close quarters with a guy with a knife. Am I right about that? Um, and a knife can go through a bulletproof vest from what I've been told by numerous police officers the last couple of days. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the vest is not designed to stop a knife and it will not stop a knife. And to be quite honest with you, um, to, to utilizing a taser on someone that is uh, attacking you with a knife, it's, it's not actually what the taser was designed for. Mm -hmm. um, but it still could have given those officers an option. The one officer could have covered with lethal force while the officer tried with the taser. And let's be clear, the taser has approximately 65% success rate. It's a phenomenal tool. It, it has reduced police injuries. It has reduced civilian injuries. Um, it's a phenomenal tool, but it is not television. It does not work every time, and it doesn't work immediately. And I, I sent you a video of, a, of an incident in Chicago where a yeah. uh, very clear incident where a uh, taser was deployed by a female sergeant, and the subject got up and stabbed her. So, um, you know, uh, it, it, there was a very similar incident in, in Ventnor um, at the end of the summer where um, an individual with an edge weapon they had. They ended up having to use uh, for, deadly force when de-escalation failed. Mm -hmm. um, in Hills County, there was a, a sheriff's deputy stabbed, and he was trying de-escalation. I mean, nothing is 100 um, percent. None of these less lethal weapons are 100 percent effective, especially when you're dealing with someone that is in a mental crisis and or uh, under, under the influence of uh, an illegal substance. So, you know, again, and, and, and that's we, we, there's so much information that we don't have yet. Yeah. And it, it, the public has a right to expect answers. They have a right to see that that video uh, as as soon as possible. But even then, you know, we have to wait in, un, until we have all the facts in and understand that we have to look at this, you know, from terms of the district attorney will be reviewing this. But yeah. then the department has to go back no matter, no matter how this flushes out. The department still has responsibility to go back and say, what could we have done to better equip those officers, to better train those officers, to better supervise those officers? There's, you know, there's a 40 millimeter round out that L.A. is using and, and has had great, great success with. Um, you know, we, we, we as a department should be on the cutting edge of technology to prevent these incidents. It's not just a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of and, and, and let's be clear that no department has done a better job of reducing the use of deadly force than the Philadelphia Police Department under Commissioner Ramsey and Ross. Uh, we we have the lowest number of deadly police shootings of the top 10 cities in America, despite the fact that you know we have an unprecedented level of violence going on. So let's not act like reform has not been taking place and it hasn't, that it hasn't been successful. Officers receive rewards for de-escalation, uh, you know, a couple times a year. It's employed all the time in the Philadelphia Police Department, and I personally have handed out awards or called officers and thanked them for just incredible acts of valor where they could have used deadly force, or, um, and they chose not to. So, you know, every situation is different, 
and uh, we need to give everyone in this the opportunity, you know, the benefit of the doubt, and wait till all of the facts are in, and then we we determination and move forward, try to prevent something from happening again. All right, Mike, you have used de-escalations since you took over in Volusia County. You had six police shootings in the first six months you were there from your conversations with me earlier in the week. Since you have done that, you've had some pretty remarkable results as well. Joe talked about the results of Philadelphia. Tell me about the results of de-escalation training in Volusia County with your sheriff's deputies. Yeah, let me just real quick piggyback on something Joe said. There isn't another profession, Dave, in the last 25 or 30 years who has evolved more to meet the crisis uh, than law enforcement has. If you if you look over the last 25 years, what law enforcement has faced, it's law enforcement has emerged more than any other profession on the cutting edge of all kinds of different technologies and training techniques and, and hiring techniques. So, you know, you got to put into context what Joe just said. It, it, it's not that we're not trying to do things. No other profession has emerged like we have. What we saw here in Volusia County was we had to change the culture. The culture was shoot first, ask questions later. We're warriors. So when we did the escalation training, it also goes back to something Joe said. We show up at a scene the other night. I have a taser, I have a less lethal shotgun, and I have a guy who's lethal. So to get to Joe's point, if the taser fails and the shotgun fails, Mm -hmm. you you have no other alternative but to resort to using deadly force. You tried your all your options were on the scene. But what we have seen since we've gone through this training in 2019, when the statistics came in, use of forces dropped by 50%, injuries to deputies dropped by 50%, injuries to the folks we're arresting dropped by 50%. Arrest went down. We our arrest went down from almost 13,000 down to a little over 9,000. But the clearance rate for the department, the ability for us to solve a part one crime once it occurred, is hovering around 50%. So that tells me the deputies are out there, and they're, fo- they're laser-focused when a crime occurs. Uh, you know, I think last year we gave out uh, 14 de- de- de-escalation, tactical de-escalation medals, which is on par with our Valor Award, which is the highest award we give out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you could see that you see the different culture. You see, I mean, the other night we had a— uh, barricaded uh, mentally ill patient in a bathroom. Yeah. And after two and a half hours, the lieutenant made the call that, hey, listen, there's, we have two options here. We can leave or kick the door in. You know what the best option here is? If you're talking to the family and the mental health worker, let's just back out. Let's just back out and, and let's and see how this works out. And eventually the guy came out and the mental health worker was able to do it down here. It's called the Baker Act. Yep. And I could send a team in and they take him to the hospital. And 302 would be a Philadelphia parlance for the same thing. Okay. Let's uh, talk about mental health for a second. I'm told in Philadelphia there is a mobile mental health office uh, in city government. Uh, there are some tools there. Joe, can you talk to that a little bit, um, situations like that? Uh, does Philadelphia have enough mental health assistance to, A, assist the individual, and, B, assist the police officers who are dealing with situations like the one we had the other day? And, and the answer to that is no. Okay. And that is no reflection workers. I requested them at every single crisis that I responded to. Mm-hmm. And when they were available, they arrived quickly, and they arrived with uh, a lot of very helpful information. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if I was even supposed to, but I've suited them up and brought them forward to, to, to advise the negotiators when we weren't you know, making any progress. Right. Um, they're a great bunch of dedicated people, but, but here's the issue. They're not 24-7. They're not staffed appropriately right. and sufficiently. And, um, you know, we, we, the, there's no one more than law enforcement that would like more help from, the, from mental health clinicians um, in terms of being able to have some place to, to take people that are in crisis and have them held for a period of time that can truly address their issues as well as have them respond to calls we don't need to be at. But let me be clear that I'm, I'm aware of the, the CAHOOTS program in Eugene, Oregon, the STAR program in Denver, the California Mental Health um, First program. None of those programs re- will, will respond to a 911 call that involves a weapon, at least not without the police. Mm. And they're not going mean, to uh, – you, you can't ask an unarmed clinician yes. um, to – you know, encounter. You know, now one of in Aurora, Colorado, what what I think is especially important is is that 
their program is proactive. I mean, they, they call through police records, EM, um, EMS records, emergency room records to find out those high-end users of emergency services where their needs are based on substance abuse or mental health. And they proactively reach these folks out and see what they can do to help before there's a need to call 911. And it has reduced 911 calls exponentially. Uh, you know, I think that's something that needs to be addressed. And I think it's great that the commissioner is going to put a 911 um, clinician in, in, in our call center to help out. But I think we also need to go to a criteria based yep. where dispatchers have a, a set, you know, uh, um, a set group of questions that they that they are prompted to ask on every call to make sure that they're they're gathering all the information that the responding officers should have so they're yeah. prepared when they up. And we know whether to send a supervisor. We know whether to make sure we have a CIT trained officer with tasers in route. And, and, and that's something I, I think that has to be looked at down the line. Okay. So that's a great segue to uh, Mike Chitwood. Mike, you already have that in place. You're already training your dispatchers to do that. In addition, I think you told me the other day, uh, supervisors in the field in a situation like this, while it's going on, can have an iPad available to talk to mental health people to kind of advise them. Talk about the steps you're taking uh, to do just what Joe just spoke about. Yeah, Joe's right. We, if we had a way to divert all the mental health problems, we would. But you know what? When you're armed, you have to call us. And uh, what we have in our largest city, which is Deltona, a little over 100,000 residents, the supervisors are equipped with an iPad, and they're connected to an on-call 24-7 uh, psychologist, licensed psychologist. And they can interject that psychologist right into the mental health crisis that's going on. They can lean on them for advice. They can give the iPad to family members or even the person in crisis if they want to talk to the licensed uh, clinician. On the backside of that, as we talked about earlier in the interview, about how important it is to get as much information out as you can into the hands of the responding officers, our entire dispatch, because we do countywide dispatch here, uh, they're going through training. As a matter of fact, I'm going through next week. It's a 120-hour it's course that teaches the dispatchers to do just what Joe said. When a call comes in, that involves a mentally disturbed or mentally a mentally ill person, the dispatcher has a series of questions and a series of resources at their fingertips. If there's a way they can divert that call away from a, a patrol response, they're going to divert it. If there's a way to, that we have to go, it's put them in contact. Like the one the other night with the bathroom, the dispatcher was able to get a hold of that person's licensed psychologist. So the sergeant was on the phone with the licensed psychologist before we even got to the house and said, don't show up with lights and sirens. Here's what you need to do. And here's, here's how you can successfully bring this to a close. So they were on the phone all that whole time. They were on the phone with that licensed psychologist because of the efforts of the dispatchers. And that is so important. And that's the link to all of this. What we do communications has to be lockstep with what patrols doing to make sure everybody's safe. Yeah. Let me um, talk about something else now. Where Joe talked about this is now in the investigative situation, the shooting team, the district attorney's office, internal affairs. Everybody's looking at this. Uh, my, I reported last night that the two officers are going to be interviewed by internal affairs on Monday. Uh, uh, that's not a full-blown interview, but that's their initial interview with them. This now is at some point is going to go to the district attorney here in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner. And, and I spoke with a defense attorney last night who kind of walked me through what could happen there. He could file charges or not right away on his own. He could take it to a indicting grand jury and decide, let the grand jury decide whether charges are merited or they're not. Or he can go to an investigative grand jury, present the information to them, and that investigative grand jury can come out with a presentment that A, recommends charges, A, recommends no charges, but also addresses and can make suggestions and recommendations to handle the systemic problem here, which I think we would all agree got this rolling in the wrong direction. The, the system failed and not only failed Mr. Wallace, but failed those two police officers, uh, at least on the initial information that we have. And I don't want to jump to conclusions here, and I'm, I'm not, but it appears that's kind of what happened here. They didn't have the best tools they could have had whatever the circumstances were and reasons for that. And 
a man lost his life, which you guys both have said, police officers go on, on, on the street every day to protect the community and themselves and go home safely at night. They don't go out there looking to, you know, an encounter like this and have someone die. It's a tragedy all around. But, uh, guys, what's, what do you think from your experience? And, Joe, I'll start with you because you've been in Philadelphia. You know the system. How should this get handled going down the road uh, from a prosecutorial situation without making a judgment here because we don't have all the information yet? Well, I mean, I, I, I like the idea of a, of a investigating grand jury that looks at the systemic problems that led to this event um, and not focus solely um, on, on just what happened in, in those couple of minutes. This gentleman has been in and out of the criminal justice system multiple times. He's been flagged for um, mental health evaluation. So, you know, at, at, at what point did the mental health fail him? At what time, or did it? I mean, um, what about his probation status and and what actions under probation have been taking to properly supervise him to prop, to make sure that that he's getting um, needed care, and that he's cooperating with his terms of probation? So, the, 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 there's a lot. This this involves a lot of different agencies, not just the police department. And I just would like to see that that all of this gets taken into consideration in terms of you know. I mean, I I, I find this that. That you know, in if, if you look at Pennsylvania law, I think it would be a difficult prosecution. That doesn't say that it's not going to happen. Um, and, and if you look at president, um, it, it it seems unlikely to me. But but uh, you know, possible because again, we don't have all the facts. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not saying to release the body worn camera footage because I think it's going to exonerate the necessarily exonerate the officers. I have no idea. I think it's it just, but the difference is, uh, or the, the, the important part of releasing that is, is that we're demonstrating to the community, complete transparency and the willingness to be accessible. Uh, at some yeah. point we have to, you yeah. know, the, the commissioner again, has said that she wants to be as transparent as possible. Um, Mike, uh, your thoughts on that part of this. Yeah, I agree with Joe. I think an investigative grand jury that investigates the totality of how we got here to what happened is a perfect thing. I, I am worried that with Kreider's reputation, a, a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich for murder in a grand jury system because they're going to prevent one side of the facts and they're going to get an indictment. And these kids' lives are going to be ruined when they came to work to do their job. They did everything to the best of their ability, and a, and a tragic situation occurred. You know, there a man lost his life. These kids have to live with that for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so. This thing, and again, based on the information we know now, you know, of course things can change when more comes forward. I think it would be an absolute miscarriage of justice. It would be a smack in the face to every Philadelphia police officer, and that fact, every officer around the country, if those kids are indicted for doing their job based on the facts we have now. Okay, and I've spoken to people who've. Uh been in contact uh, with one or both of the officers, and they are deeply, deeply upset by what has happened here, as is the entire city of Philadelphia. Uh, I have to give some praise to the black ministers who had a meeting the other night with the community immediately to discuss this and try and kind of calm down some tempers and the anger that's out there over this. Uh, There's been some very peaceful marches there have been some not-so-peaceful marches. There's also been uh, some outside-the-box from the protests have, having nothing to do with protests, as both the commissioner and the mayor said yesterday in their news conference, widespread looting. I know you guys love the city of Philadelphia just the way I do in many different ways, and I've been in all communities. Both of you guys have been in all communities here, and nobody wants to see what's going on in this city the last two nights, not so much last night, but the first two nights. Uh, guys, just what you think about that. And, Mike, I'm, I'm going to start with you because I've started with Joe a couple of questions in a row. But, Mike, yeah, from from standing in Florida, by the way, 87 degrees probably down here today. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it, pouring it, rain it, here, by the way, just to, as an aside. Yeah. But, Mike, when, when you saw that and you saw what happened, especially Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, David, and to go back to what you had just said about the, the black ministers stepping up to the plate and holding these these meetings. Right. Imagine how powerful those meetings would be if the police commissioner brought the leaders of the community in and showed them 
the body camera video, yep. and then they went out into the community. Imagine what a tool that would be to, to, to turn on a rhetoric. Mm-hmm. The, the sad part is this tragic incident, and, and, and I think Joe will tell you, we, our job is to protect people's First Amendment rights to assemble and protest peaceably. Peaceably get your message across. Unfortunately, protests around the nation have been hijacked by violence, unwanted violence, people who, who – what does stealing flat-screen TVs have to do with changing the system? Right. You know, what does burning grocery stores down or driving a truck into a line of cops – what does that have to do with, with, with peaceably bringing about change? Because I don't think anybody that sees that video that doesn't say, hey, we got to change. We have to do a better job. But burning things to the ground – attacking cops, destroying your city, destroying neighborhoods that need as much help as they can get. I mean, I spent nine of my 18 years out there and to watch some of those businesses where people, that's their home and their business is, is lost. People are losing uh, their, their jobs. For what, Matt, what are we doing? What are we doing? And they're serving the very communities that we're talking about here. I mean, I was in a pharmacy right. on, West, on Girard Avenue near Broad Street, the last round of looting. The owner is African-American. He's been there 35 years. Like 100 people broke into his pharmacy, stole a 600-pound safe, and everything else in there. There are neighbors, African-American, Latino, Asian, in that neighborhood, who depend on his pharmacy to get their daily medicines for diabetes, any kind of ailment or whatever. He had to shut down because every medication he had in the place was taken was taken. There's no thought that I want to separate the two groups. There are protests and protesters yep. who are well-meaning in this city and are having peaceful protests. And then there's this group, I'll call them agitators or whatever you want to call them, and the looters that are looting. I'm not even sure they know what happened, but a thousand people showed up at a shopping center at Aramingo and Castor the other night and literally stripped almost every store in there to the walls and on television, live on Fox and other stations, while they're mm-hmm. doing program, people are carting washing machines and dryers and freezers and refrigerators out on handcarts to vehicles and going away with them. Joe broke broke my heart, Dave. Broke my heart to watch that, and I think you nailed it. You nailed it on the head. Yeah. You know, people are losing their businesses. They've been around for generations, helping the community, and they've lost everything. Yeah. Joe, yeah, you, Joe know, Dave, like, you saw it. You know, first of all. You know, I, I thought it showed an incredible amount of character for members of the Wallace family to go on go on the news and to condemn that type of activity and to make it clear that they want no part of it and they don't want their family members' names to be attached to that type of behavior. And and, and with the legitimate protesters that, that were, you know, obviously becoming violent, I think it made a difference. But let's be clear. The thousand people on Aramingo Avenue have no idea who Mr. Wallace is. All they know is that they're going to get some uh, free flat screen TVs and washers and dryers. And it's, it's burglary. It's theft. It's criminal. It's not protest. It's not protected speech. It's nothing other than criminal activity. And I think it was unfortunate that the department was not sufficiently staffed to take decisive action because I think it sent a terrible message that that was allowed to continue um, without any interference whatsoever from law enforcement. And I think it was embarrassing locally and nationally for for our city. And I know it demoralized our officers because it's not um, what what, what they felt was the appropriate response, but it was the only response they could take because of a lack of resources. Let me tell you a story I heard last night while I was working. Um, I actually find this hard to believe myself, but I'll tell it to you anyway. some folks were arriving at that shopping center to see cars that had already been loaded with looted materials from the stores. And there were actually looters, I'm being told, by police who I trust to give me good information, cars with looters in them packed, being carjacked by other looters who were just <laughs> arriving at the, at the scene, taking the vehicle's and the, the looted items from their vehicles in the parking lot. I mean... And Africa Avenue was the target at, at, um, at, at during the George, George Floyd mm-hmm. um, protest. And, and I, so, you know, it, 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 it just kind of confounds me that 
we weren't, uh, you know, again, you know, not making any judgment. The minute I saw that video, I, I said, there's going to be, there's going to be problems if this isn't properly managed. And that's why I think yeah. that uh, the department should have, should have spoke to the media and got a lot of critical information out yeah. at, within two hours after that incident. And yeah. remember, body damage footage can be viewed immediately. Um, there's a lot you can glean from it. It can be released immediately. But even if you don't release it, there's a lot you can get, you, you can glean from it. And, and just letting people know immediately, no, the officers didn't have tasers. There, that wasn't an option for them. I, uh, you know, w- would have been very helpful. But on top of that, you, you know, and you listen to your mid-level managers who, who, who know that area and who have experience. And when they tell you this is going to get bad, then it, it again, you, you immediately go all hands on deck. You start, it's a Monday, you have critical special units that are off. You start calling them in from home um, and, and you prepare for the worst. If it doesn't happen, fantastic. But oh. at least you prepare worse. You don't, you don't hope for the best. And then when the worst happens, officers are out there being pelted with bricks, severely undermanned and, and unable to respond. It only makes the situation worse, and it only encourages further bad behavior. And that's what you saw. Yeah. Okay. The mayor ha- the, the mayor has asked for, and Governor Wolf has given him uh, National Guard units, which I believe are going to be deployed. Uh, we're talking today. It's a, it's a Thursday. It's supposedly today in Philadelphia. That helped tremendously back in May and June when we had the first round after uh, George Floyd's uh, death. Um, and the protests and the looting and stuff that got out of hand in Center City and all over. Um, Mike, uh, are well, you a proponent of bringing in the National Guard like that? And the you know, Pennsylvania State Police, let's not forget them. Yes, that's true. That's true, too. I, I, I'll add that to them. Yep. You know, you got to bring in what you got to bring in, but let me just yep. echo back and throw a, throw a compliment back at Joe and Richie Ross. And I, and I think I told you this before when we interviewed mm-hmm. back in the summertime. Right. I think if you would have had uh, Joe Sullivan and Rich Ross in charge of what's going on. I, I have no doubt in my mind that you would have not seen the level of violence that you're seeing. Those guys helped write the playbook for the RNC, the DNC. They've been through all of it. They're nationally recognized for that. There's people in the Philadelphia Police Department, like Inspector Joe Bologna, who is nationally recognized for deploying a bike storm protests. And when you deplete the bench, and you put a bunch of amateurs in there, this is what you get. Yeah. Guys, uh, also, uh, in the le- overnight, I wanted to discuss this with you. Uh, during the looting the last three nights uh, and the uh, stuff that's going on in the city, we've had multiple ATM explosions again. We had a whole series of them during the summer. The last time, they had 10 Monday night. I think they had 10 or 12 Tuesday night. They had... 10 to 15 last night, but uh, around 10 o'clock last night, a van was stopped in Logan Circle, across from the Basilica near uh, the Logan Square Hotel, uh, blocks from the Art Museum, the Franklin Institute. A van was stopped by very alert police officers. Uh, The bomb squad was called out. That van contains, from the sources and the information we had last night, uh, a number, a large number of M type devices, M80, M100, M1000s that have been used in the past to blow up ATMs. It was also, our sources are saying, uh, some propane tanks, uh, torches and stuff in that vehicle. And at the same time, we're now being told about uh, a dozen or two U-Haul vans being stolen out of uh, two U-Haul facilities in the East Police Division. You put the two of those together, hopefully the van is just involved in these ATM um, bombings that have been very unsuccessful, by the way, other than destroying the ATMs and not in some bigger plot. But when you take stolen U-Hauls and a van like this with material, you know, you, your mind starts to go, Joe, you used to head counterterrorism. Uh, you, you would be putting out alerts on this, and they did, and they did recover a number of the U-Hauls, that kind of thing. But this has to trouble you, that those two things together. Yeah, it's, it's it's very troubling, and and I know that the uh, Joint Terrorism Task Force um, is is has this job being supported by ATF, and of course the bomb squad and Philadelphia Police Homeland Security with, uh, members who are assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Um, yeah, I mean it it, it it can be a range of things. I mean uh, they could be stealing vans to, to to carry materials for additional riots, right up to some type of a a vehicle-borne attack. 
Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if there's any connection between the, the, the stolen U-Haul vans and the van that was stopped. Mm-hmm. I tend to think the van that was involved in the, in, in the ATM because there was nothing in there that would actually, you know, lead me to believe that, uh, right. there was any greater than that. Um, but you know, um, the, the, the stolen propane tanks though are, are concerned. There's, there's a lot that you can do with that, but, mm. um, no luck. We're in the city where we had the finest bomb squad in the country, yeah. and the Joint Terrorism Force is just a, you know an excellent group of combined group of, of local, state, and federal officers. So um, you, you know that they are running on this job, um, you know, twenty four seven. I think we're going to get some results quickly, and I think we'll recover the rest of the jewel vans. But it's good that they got the information out. You know, sometimes people say you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to cause panic, but in a situation like that, you, you, that can't be your concern. You got to get that information out because your best asset is an involved public. Um, and when 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 I dealt with situations like this, you know, we would get tip after tip from the public, and that's how we would get these things resolved. So um, I, I I think the response is has been you know fantastic by all of the agencies involved so far. Yeah, Mike, uh, you're a big proponent of being super transparent and getting all the info out there so the public knows what's going on. I assume you agree with what Joe's saying right here. Get it out there. Let pe- put some more eyes on it, some eyeballs across the city, so people call and see something, say something, you would agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. My, my fear, though, is that there are organized domestic terrorist groups that are infil- infiltrating these protesters, and, and their number one thing is to take out cops. And when you hear you hold truck and propane, you know, bad things come to mind. And and the fact that they're stealing these U-Haul trucks, yeah, some of them could be stolen for criminal things. But the other things are, is there some type of booby trap or is there some type of a, an attack that's going to be perpetrated on law enforcement is my concern. But, you know, I also echo what Joe said, uh, you know, the counterterrorism folks and the FBI and Homeland Security and everybody involved is doing everything they can to protect to protect the officers yeah. in our community. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap this up. I, I, I kind of want to ask both of you, Going forward, just knowing what we know, and let's say this for, I think, the fourth time here now, what happened out there was a terrible tragedy all around for the Wallace family, for Walter Wallace Jr., for the community, for the two police officers who were put in a very, very difficult situation there, for the police department, for this city, uh, all around tragedy. But going forward, uh, let me give each of you like two minutes here to, to say What's your word of advice or, or, or what's your hope going forward from this, Joe? And I'll start with you. My, my, my word of advice and, and my request to, to the citizens of Philadelphia and especially to our elected leaders at the national, state, and local level, right now the priority should be returning peace to our, and security to our city. We need to get this situation calmed down, under control. We can't have businesses destroyed, lives destroyed, um, and, and by criminal behavior. And we got to come out and strongly condemn the criminal behavior. In terms of the shooting, exactly as you said, it's a tragedy. And our goal should be to do, to equip, train, the, and the Philadelphia Police Department and all police departments across the country to prevent accident incidents like this from happening in the future. But let's also focus on how we prevent a 911 response by ensuring that all the other involved agencies are held accountable the same way that you want the police held accountable to do their jobs so the police do not have to get involved. And you can't say you want to defund the police, but at the same time, you, you want co-responder programs and you want better equipment, better training, better policy for the police. And finally, in terms of this shooting, I cannot offer an, a judgment on this shooting because I don't have all the information and neither does anyone else. And for people in positions of authority to be making determinations on the right or wrong of this shooting is doing a disservice to the Wallace family and, and to the citizens of Philadelphia. Let's wait till we get all the facts in, and then we can work out the finger pointing. Then we can make a fair determination. Um, but finally, please release the body-worn camera footage as soon as possible. It is absolutely critical to calming this situation down. 
Okay. Joe, excuse me, I appreciate those comments. Mike, let me give you the last word here. Uh, your thoughts going forward here. Yeah, the first to the Wallace family, I, you know, it's an unbelievable tragedy, and, and, and I don't know what it's like to lose uh, a child. So my, my heart and my empathy goes out to you, uh, especially battling mental illness. To the officers, you know, you said it earlier, Dave, these poor guys have to live with that. They certainly didn't come to work to kill anybody that day. And, uh, and I hope that they're able to get through this uh, as best they can. To the community, you, you got to take a step back and take a deep breath and let the facts play out. Like Joe said, I would implore the commissioner in future shootings, good, bad, and different, get the body camera video out ASAP and get your community involved with you. Uh, out of every tragedy, you have to step forward and say, what can we do better? And because we could always do it better. And there are... Uh, uh, systems out there like integrated uh, uh, communications and tactics training that was developed by the Police Executive Research Forum. There's a better way to do these things. Take this tragedy, make the PD better, make the city better, and move forward. Because everybody's got the same goal here, Dave. Nobody wants to kill anybody when they come to work. Nobody wants cities looted and destroyed. And, and, and the overwhelming majority of Philadelphia police officers and police officers in this country are good people trying to do a difficult job, but they want help from their community. They want help from their leadership. And if there was ever a time in Philadelphia's history where they needed dynamic, outside-the-box leadership in the Philadelphia Police Department, the time is now because they have, the, they have the tools, they have the resources, they have the talent. They need a dynamic leader at the top to get them where they need to go. All right, gentlemen, listen, uh, I've been in the business for 42 years, uh, semi-retired now, but I, I want to tell both of you I greatly respect both of you for many, many years. Uh, you bring a point of view that I think few people can bring to the table, uh, and that's why I wanted to have you on Philly Prime. Uh, I know I'm going to get the, the straight. You know you're going to get the best from both of you and you have done that today and i greatly appreciate you coming on the show and i hope to have you guys on again in the future thanks again for joining philly prime folks i appreciate it we'll see you next time 